Okay. All right, so we are going to move quickly. How many of you believe that's possible? Do you have faith? If not, thanks very much. So some of the signs of the kingdom. Quickly, sovereignty of Jesus we spoke about. Spreading of the good news is another sign, key sign. Thirdly, signs and wonders. We talked a little bit about that. Where God confirms the breaking in of the kingdom with miracles. And uh, A.W. Tozer said, modern religion focuses upon filling churches with people. The true gospel emphasizes filling people with God. We need God. Not just people, we need God. Another sign of the kingdom is salvation through being born again. Now I know that sounds obvious. But I really do think we need to preach more about I once was, now I am. It's not I'm a good person who's now, a bad person who's now good. It's not I used to be and now I, I mean, I love the history of where we've come from. But how many know if I dyed this shirt, if this shirt was black before and now it's white, if I kept standing up and saying this shirt that was black now is white and reference what it was rather than what it is, it wouldn't always make sense. And so I think, honestly, friends, I know that it's a play on words here, but we, we got to get back to being born again. I'm no longer that. I'm not, I was that, I'm born again. Because it helps people live in the bigness of what God intended if we're not referencing what we were, but referencing who we are now. Does it make sense? So yes, I, I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint, but you're now a saint. Not because of anything, but because of Christ. You were a sinner, but now you're a saint. So let's start with who we are now, born again. Not a bad person being made good. I've been born again. And I think that's important for people to be able to walk in the bigness of what is so salvation. I want to say invite people not only to hear the good news, but actually be it. Be the good news. And as I said last night, what we win people with is what we win people to. And so I, I think we're going to preach a lot more about being born again. Anyway, another sign of the kingdom is suffering. Oh, hello. No one really wants to talk about that, but it's a sign of the kingdom. Suffering to those who seek to advance the kingdom of God. In Scripture, we see it. There was a suffering. There, the apostolic message of encouragement we see in Acts chapter 14 is that we must go through many hardships. They said in order to enter the kingdom. The kingdom message is not, it's all awesome, it's all good, and hang on, it's all going to work out. It's suffering for doing good. I mean, people today say, if only we were living in the Bible times. If only we had the favor of the government like the early church. Really? They got locked up in prison, beaten, heads cut off. Don't preach that. Stop preaching that. Back in prison. Do you, they, they didn't have it that easy. <laughs> if only we had the money they had. They didn't have money. Silver and gold we do not have, apparently, they said. Either they lied or they didn't have it. But they had power. And I just want to say, one of the signs of the kingdom is suffering. Not suffering for the sake of suffering, but suffering to those who seek to advance the kingdom of God. I think there is an attack against the church if we are serious about the kingdom of God. But if we're serious just about the church and keeping quiet, then there's no attack. But suffering comes. Also, can I say, showing peace and mercy to the lost and kindness to the poor is a sign of the kingdom of God. And Jesus showed us that. And can I lastly say, starting kingdom communities. Church planting. Have you heard about that? Uh, I know that this is a church plant that you're a part of, that many of you, and there's other churches represented. But church planting 
is on the, uh, on the, the heart of God. It's not an expression. It's not a way. It's, it's how we see Scripture. We're not about church planting. We're about the kingdom. But one of the ways the kingdom is demonstrated and advanced is through church planting in cities and regions all over Australia and around the world. And guess where those plants are going to come from? Here. Not plant them out there. Here. We're going to raise people up and release people. Not all to plant, but have a culture of planting. We were recently praying as a team in the U.S. again, Lord, we need to be planting. And I'm like, God, give me a strategy. Give us another strategy. We need to see more churches plant. And God literally arrested my heart, stopped me praying that and said, preach the kingdom. Get back to preaching the kingdom. And the result will be people will rise up and multiply and want to start kingdom um, uh, communities all over. One of the results of the kingdom being preached is churches will be planted. Let's not have church planting strategy. Let's, pro- let's live and preach kingdom. And out of that, people are going to respond to what it is God's called. I just want to say, I hope you know, it's on the heart of God for this church and other churches to multiply churches and communities. It's on God's heart. He's put you here to raise up release. And I think it's one of the signs. And I hope you're excited about that and to be a part of that. And we don't all plant, but we need a culture of planting. We all should be involved in church planting using our gifts and what we've been given to help advance the gospel. Business people opening doors. You know those business people that are here? You're awesome. We, you need it, but not to serve the church, to serve God with us. And the way you do that is bring your God-given influence to open doors to plant churches. There are regions right now in the nations of the world where we can't get into because the doors are closed to the gospel being preached. We can't arrive in a region and say we're planting a church. But you know what we can do is the doors are open for business people to go in and establish businesses. And we're saying, go do that and we'll come plant the churches with you. You don't have to plant the church. Just open the door and we'll walk through it. Okay, that's exciting, yeah, for the rest of the world. But I want to tell you, you can't talk kingdom if you're not planting. It's a sign of the kingdom. Is starting kingdom community. That's multiplication at every level. And as I said last night, a church without a kingdom vision eventually becomes selfish and self-serving. So if we're not kingdom focused, we begin selfish and about us, and then we're in danger. All right, so some quickly, now I'm going to get to some points because I haven't got to one yet. Can you believe it? But <laughs> quickly, and I'm just going to give some headlines, highlight a few of them in the few minutes we have left. But I hope you're not just, I'm not principle driven. These are not principles. How many of you know principles that are taken as principles can become laws and laws kill? We've got to get back to the pattern, not the principles. Tithing, for example. Well, I don't know where you stand on that. But if you preach on tithing as a principle, ultimately it becomes a law. And laws kill, even good laws. And I think that tithing is principle driven. But actually, if we go back to the pattern of giving... That God is our source. Would you all agree? Do you agree God is your source? Well, God says, I want you to know that I'm your source and I want to know that you know that I'm your source. And here's how you do that. You take before anything 10% of what you've got and you give what belongs to me back to me. Not because the church needs your money. Not because God needs your money. Imagine we think God needs our money. God needs nothing. He's God. But God wants us to know that what we have is actually from Him. And He says, this is how I want you to do this. 
I want you to give to me what's mine to show me that you know that what you've got, I gave it to you. That's pattern. It's God's our source, right from before the law. God wants it. So when you preach a, a value as a law, it becomes a thing that destroys. And I'm saying that's, we're not pattern driven. I mean, not principle driven. Be pattern. The pattern of God. I'm your provider. I make a way. I give. Just show me that you know that. And let's live in this. So I've got some, not principles of the kingdom. I want to talk some pattern of what it is God's called us to. All right, quickly, number one. Keys to true kingdom ministry. Jesus Christ is our pattern in kingdom ministry. He is the model of it all. And I know you know that, but I wonder, do you model your life around others or around Jesus? I mean, I've got some heroes of the faith too. I've got some people I know and people I've read. But let me tell you, there's no greater pattern or model for any of us than Jesus Christ. If we want the world to see Jesus, we should do what Jesus did. If we want to see the, the world to see more of Christ in us, then let's let more of Christ in us. Let's pattern our lives and ministries around Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, not Christ is my ministry, Christ is my life. Because your ministry follows your life. Now I meet people to say, oh, I want my ministry to be about Jesus. Well, then make your life about Jesus because your ministry follows your life. Your life doesn't follow your ministry. And I'm not talking about preachers. I'm talking about all of us have a ministry in the kingdom. And if it's going to be Christ-focused, then make sure that we're living like Christ, modeling what Christ did. And there's so many examples in Scripture. If we're going to point people to Jesus, we must do what Jesus did. I love that the secret, if there is one, to his success, Jesus' success in life and ministry, was he was loyal to another. He was loyal to his Father. See, I think part of the, 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 the pattern we to live out is our loyalty to him. Not our thing, his thing. In John 6, Jesus says, I've come, not, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I'm faithful to someone else. I'm not about my thing. We serve another's mandate, friends. Jesus served another message. He didn't bring his own message. We know that in John 7. He said in verse 16 and 18, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Look at what he says. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. See, I think that's happening in the church. I'm preaching my message to gain personal glory. But if we preach His message, we can't take any glory. Jesus came with the Father's message. I want to say He was loyal to the message the Father gave Him. We need to be loyal to the message God's given us. It's not ours. It belongs to Him. We're not manufacturers of the Word. We've been received a trust to use the Word of God wisely and right. They'll say His ministry... In Mark chapter 4, the parables of the, talent, uh, of the sower and the seed, all about the kingdom. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom. Go read his messages. And uh, the parable of the sower and the seed, he says this, when a farmer went out to sow his seed. You know, friends, I think we get so busy on preparing soil that we forget to sow seed. <laughs> I, I just want to tell you, I can't prepare the soil in this room for this morning's message. I'm not responsible for what you do with what I say. I'm responsible for what I do with what he says. The only soil, the only heart in this room that I can adjust is mine. 
Yet I think we so want to get the soil ready to receive the seed that we forget the farmer went out to sow the seed. <laughs> you know, when we planted this church in Denver and Russ and Mary with us, you might notice I've got an accent. I've got an accent everywhere I go because I don't know what accent I have. So everywhere I went in Denver, I had an accent. At the bank on Monday morning when I'm trying to have the day off, the, well, why are you here? What brings you here? Where are you from? And they love Australia. I don't know. I know they do. They love Aussies. And you're from Australia. Why we love? Why are you here? And so you, but one of the things I realized is that our job is just to sow seed. When we planted that church, God's not going to say, what do people do with what I told you, what you said to them? God's going to ask, what seed did you sow? Did you sow? And I think most of us are so trying to get people's hearts ready to receive, we forget our job is seed sowers, not soil readiers. Don't have to agree with me, but we're wasting our time trying to get people ready to receive something. Our job is to throw seed. That's kingdom. Everywhere we go, throw seed. Sow seed. We seed sowers, not soil readiers, if that's even a word. But uh, it doesn't make sense. Most guys, our revival can't come because people aren't ready. No, just sow seed. Show the acts of God. Show kindness to people. Love people. Embrace people. Talk to people. Sow seed. And guess what? If they don't get saved, it's not your problem. Your problem is just to sow seed. That's all you can do. Even worse. Can I get in trouble? And how do we win souls? We saw about winning. We're not soul winners. That means that they're soul losers. How many souls did you win today? No. How much seed did you sow today? That's it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just Jesus. My example. See, we get so focused on preparing the soil that we forget to sow the seed. We're not soil preparers. We seed sowers. We make sure that our own soil is ready. It's a personal thing. Sow the seed everywhere, all the time, and leave the rest to Him. Multiplication. Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the growing seed. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The growth is in his hands. We're not growers of the harvest. We're gatherers of the harvest. Sow seed and gather the harvest. That's the job. Motivation is what? The glory of God. Jesus came to bring glory to his Father. And so our motivation, if Jesus is our pattern in kingdom ministry, is the glory of God. We're not seeking the appraise or the praise or approval of man. We simply want people to see the glory of God. That's got to be what motivates us. We don't have to tell people what we do. God sees it all. And Jesus came to make much of his Father. And I think that's something of a pattern in kingdom ministry for all of us. Jesus is the pattern. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, which we've talked about already, but he is... The power in kingdom ministry. Tozer says that the world is perishing from the lack of the knowledge of God and the church is famishing for the want of His presence. Can I say to us to see it this morning that one of the worst things we can do with power is pretend we don't have it. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with all this power stuff, so let's just 
pretend it's not there. Doesn't that sound good? We could do that if the Holy Spirit was a blessing from God. But do you know that the Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God? The Holy Spirit is God. If He was a blessing, we pick and choose whether we want this blessing. If He's God, well, that's a whole different truth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Have you heard that? One of the most quoted verses. Can I say that the Spirit is everywhere? Right here, right now, even in this room. He's all over Tasmania. But let me tell you, freedom's not even in this room right here. Why is that? Because I don't believe it's saying wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's freedom. What it's saying is now the Lord is the Spirit. And when we yield to the Spirit as Lord, there is freedom. Are you there? The Spirit is everywhere. Would you agree? We talked a little about Acts chapter 2 earlier. That the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And A.W. Tozer said, if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the church today, the world today, most of the church would carry on and not know the difference. How tragic is that? But he goes on and says something even more profound. But if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the early church, most of what the church were doing would stop and everyone would know the difference. If God was to remove the Holy Spirit, guess what? He hasn't. But if He was, most of the church would carry on and we wouldn't even know He's no longer here. But He is here and God hasn't removed the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you and I yield to the Spirit as Lord, that's where we find freedom. The point I'm trying to make in all this is the Holy Spirit is not some blessing from God. He is God. And we need to yield to Him as God for freedom to come in our lives. Liberty, where the Lord is the Spirit, there is freedom. Does it make sense? I think we've got to get back to the supernatural, friends, to overcome intellectual barriers. In the Western culture, we're too clever. And we've got to help getting back to the supernatural. I don't want to get in trouble, but I do want to say there's more biblical backing for strange fire than no fire. I'm not saying let's endorse strange fire, but there's more backing in the early church from what we see in Scripture for strange fire than no fire. I cannot find a biblical truth in the early church where there's no fire. But as I said earlier, some of us are more comfortable with no fire than strange fire. And there's no biblical backing for that. I'm not saying let's go for strange stuff. I'm saying God wants to be God. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit if we're serious about kingdom ministry. If you're about church ministry, you can honestly do this without the Holy Spirit. If you're about the kingdom, then you need the Holy Spirit. The anointing, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He's the power of all ministry. I think we've got to rediscover our radical edge, friends. You know, Australia, you guys are great farmers, apparently. And the Americans are enamored by your, farm, your farming. And if you go to the outback, like not, not, not Tassie, the outback, there are endless miles of open space, but all the cattle hang together. That doesn't happen in my country. In the U.S., they put up fences and all that and keep their cattle together. If you go ask an Aussie farmer in the outback, how is it that you've got endless miles of open space, but all your cattle hang together? They'll say, oh, our job as farmers is not to put up fences. Our job is to dig for fresh water. 
And as long as we got fresh water, the cattle will stick together. They don't need fences. They need fresh water. Pfft, hello, church. We're putting up walls and fences to keep people in. How about we just take some fences down and dig for fresh water? Because fresh water will bring all people to come and drink of the living water that God gives us. Don't need fences. We need fresh water. We need power. Not clever preachers. The demonstration of people putting their faith in God and coming to drink of the river that never runs dry. And we determine in God what happens in the church as the church to these people who are thirsty and dry. <laughs> we need more of His presence, more of His power, power to preach, not from the pulpit alone. All of us are preachers out there. T.L. Osborne said, Only the power of the living Christ proclaimed in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit can meet the urgent needs of humanity. We need to have the Holy Spirit in planning. I wonder how much we lean on the Holy Spirit when it comes to planning as local churches, as leaders, or even as family members or people. Do you go to the Holy Spirit to lead us? He's not some optional extra we put on when we preach. He leads us. He fellowships us with us. He leads and guides us. The Holy Spirit does that, friends. I mean, I know that most of you are older here. That's great. But if you're young and you're not married and you're single, have you even inquired of the Lord who you should marry? Are you just picking and choosing from whatever, whoever? Are you, are you there? Joel, thank you. And anyone else? No, seriously, I'm amazed how people just make decisions. We compartmentalize our lives. This is the God factor. Then there's my business, my family, my church. We God's not about that. If you're following Jesus, every decision is spiritual. Every decision from where you live, what promotions you take. How many people have stepped out of the will of God thinking this must be God, by moving to another place because they got a job promotion. And when I say, have you asked God? Of course it's God. It's more money. <laughs> well, how about that? You might be taken out of the will of God for more money. I'm not saying don't take it. I'm just saying, are you led by the Spirit in your planning? Have you got it all planned out or have you got the Spirit leading us in our planning? Paul was a strategist. Paul wanted to go and plant a church here. He was all about going in this region, there, but he was also led by the Spirit. He wasn't so strategic that he closed his ear to the Spirit. And we must be strategists and we must have a plan. Go to big cities to break open the gospel, to plant churches that can impact regions. However, the Macedonian call came. Come to us. We need you. Imagine if he said, not part of my plan. But he was led by the Spirit. I want to say the Spirit helps us plan in the things God has for us, friends. We need the Holy Spirit. In our praying, how many of you know what to pray every day, all the time? I hope you don't, because you don't. I'm telling you, most times I pray, I don't know what we're supposed to be praying, because I'm just overwhelmed by the touch. But the, by the Holy Spirit teaches us and helps us to pray. Romans 8.26 helps us. He helps us. He, he helps us in our personal lives. <sighs> Holy Spirit. You know that? Holy Spirit. You want to overcome some stuff in your life? It's the Holy Spirit who helps you overcome. It's not your flesh. It's the Spirit. He's holy. He's part of everyday life. Some of us need to allow that the Spirit back to come and bring some holiness back to our lives. Not try and be good in your strength. Not hear another message. Yield to the Spirit where you can find freedom. Personally and in power. He comes in power, which we read. I quoted earlier, Acts chapter 10, 38. 
God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Go read that through that and see if it's in there. There's no better evangelist in the, in the world than the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody tells us that. And can I say it's abnormal for a believer not to have an appetite for the supernatural. We've kind of said, ah, you're a freak if you like the Spirit stuff. No, no, you're a freak if you're a believer and you don't like the Spirit stuff. Because God's actually given us a heart for the supernatural. Hello? <laughs> Toza again, forgive me quoting him, but he says, wise leaders should have known that the human heart cannot exist in a vacuum. If Christians are forbidden to enjoy the wine of the Spirit, they will turn to the wine of the flesh. Have you heard about familiarity? It breeds contempt. Well, I think that often in the church, we as followers of Jesus, we get so familiar with the Holy Spirit that we actually begin to forget who He really is. And I think when you become familiar, you lose the appreciation for the things of God. We become critical. I've seen it. People become critical of the things we used to value, the presence of God. Now it's annoying. It's getting in the way rather than it's the thing we valued most. You need to come back to that place, friends. You know, you cannot succeed in something you secretly despise. In other words, you can't be at home in your own walk, not interested, but publicly trying to play a game. The Holy Spirit cannot be mocked. The overflow of our personal life is what comes out in public. Become unreceptive to the things of God. You know what happens? We begin to see the supernatural as ordinary and natural. See, one of our values from Scripture is we want to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. In other words, we don't want to be freaky and weird. I want to tell you, some of the stuff going on, it chases not only the devil, it chases God away, I think. Seriously. You know, Jesus, I'm not trying to mock, Jesus had to be kissed to be identified who he is. Not that he so fit in, but he didn't so stand out as this weird dude freaking everyone out that the guy who betrayed him said, I'm going to kiss the man to identify who he is so you can take him. Because they didn't know who he was. Why? Because he was part of the people. He wasn't this freaky, weird thing floating to and fro, casting demons out and manifesting wherever he went. And I want to say we need some supernatural naturalness. And we want to be naturally supernatural, not put on, be it everywhere we go, not add on and be weird and put on the sucking and the hissing and all the weird stuff. I'm serious, friends. I'm not mocking. There was nothing weird about what Jesus did. Sinners came running to Jesus. Religious people freaked out. And we need some sinners coming back, not the religious people. They run away, but authentic followers of Jesus coming and the uh, the, the, uh, the non-believers, they were drawn to Jesus. Are you there? So in saying that, we don't want to become so used to what he's doing that we never celebrate what he does. We should expect people to get healed all the time. And when they do, we should thank God and rejoice in the testimony, not get so used to the supernatural that it becomes ordinary. There's nothing ordinary about the supernatural. Quickly, some things to remember about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Spirit of God is holy. Can I say, He is God. We don't boss Him around. I listen to people talk to the Holy Spirit. Do this. What? You telling God what to do? Don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. 
Let him use you. We don't use him. Another thing is I need to learn from him. He doesn't need to learn from me. He's the revealer. He's the teacher. We're not. He's not a theory course. In other words, all our thoughts of him don't make, should not make up our lack of him. <laughs> He's the point of our teaching of him. Instruction is useless without him. When we preach, we want to give him opportunity to show who he is. He doesn't come to divide, but he might. And it's not his fault. It's ours. You can't preach a powerful message and live a conservative life. Got to live what you preach. Can I just say again, we don't need the Holy Spirit to come again. He's here. The same Holy Spirit that was birthed in the early church. Honestly, that birthed the early church in power is the same Holy Spirit who's right here, right now. All that needs to happen is we need to respond and yield to that same Holy Spirit today. Not in a moment, day in and day out. And I believe we'll see more than what we saw in the book of Acts because God is about what he wants to still do in and through the local church. Are you with me? Kingdom ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the power of our ministry. Thirdly, the word of God and prayer. The word of God and prayer are our practices in the kingdom of God. Now, I know this is getting, ah, oh, this is old school. No, this is kingdom. And there are people today, maybe even in this room, who believe that the whole word stuff needs to be put aside for God to really... The prophets who are now saying, put a, the new thing God's doing, put aside the word of God. I want to tell you this. If anyone tells you that, they're wrong. If it's not in God's word, God's not watching over it, no matter how good it is. And our practice, our lifeline, our security from such good preachers who preach a lot of good stuff, if it's not in the Bible, it's not from God. You and I have the same Bible, so don't listen to everyone telling us what we should and shouldn't do. I think the church is in a mess today because we put aside the Bible to hear the men and women of God. No, no, hear God through His Word. It's the boundary, it's the practice for us. It's the thing that we've got to give our lives to. If we're about the kingdom, it's the Word of God. It's important. All Scriptures God breathed. All Scripture. And it's useful teaching for rebuking, for encouraging. It's the... To help us become the people of God, we need the Word of God preached. And I know that we know this, but don't move on from this. And this next generation doesn't need us to make it better for them, for them to buy in. They need the Word. Yeah. Let me get in trouble for a moment. Have you heard of millennials? Yes. Are there any here? Who's a millennial? Joel, I think you won. Are there any other millennials? I think you would be a millennial. I don't know what you are. Good. It's better not to know. Let me just say this about millennials or whatever, Gen X or baby boomers or whatever you are. You know who gave you that name? Not God. You know who labels you that? You're the culture. The culture tells us who we are. And in actual fact, the culture tells us these millennials, they don't need the Word of God. They need TED Talks. They need quick fixes. They need your stories. They're all about stories. And so we buy into this now because we want to reach them. We're reaching them with stories, not with God's truth. And we're raising a generation that is illiterate to Scripture. God help the church if they don't know what God says. And we're playing the game because... the. The culture says they don't know how to. They need just good stories. I mean, guys, I'll be honest with you this morning. I preach in churches all over the world most weekends. I'm in some other church. And the majority of churches I preach in are churches who partner with NCMI, meaning churches that we work with. So it's not other churches. It's our churches. I want to tell you, this happens most days, most Sundays, most weekends, 
There's reaction to when I preach. And I always used to think, it's my gift. They don't like me, that's fine. I've realized it's not just my gift, it's because I preach the Word. And when I stop preaching the Word, I tell stories. People are, oh, this is awesome. Go back to the Word. There's like a resistance. And I want to stop and say, pastors, would you stop giving your stories and get back to his story and preach the Word? Because these guys need to know God's Word, not your story. Because you dead one day, they got to carry on without you. God help us if their faith's in you and your story rather than in Christ. Amen. Paul said, preach the word. Read the word publicly. I know we run out of time and we got the attention span of like 10 minutes apparently is what the culture says. So you got 10 minutes to get them with the gospel. No, no. These guys, can I be honest? I'm just using my kids again. They say to me, Dad, we don't want to go just to rise up youth thing, which is great. We just had them and he preached. But they say, if we have to choose to go to an equip, or rise up. We'd rather go to an equip. I was like, why is that, boy? They said, because we need the Word of God. We need to be equipped with the Word. We want to hear the Word, not be told you're awesome and have a pizza. Are you there? Yeah. We're playing the game by giving them pizza and telling them they're awesome. They're going to not be able to lead us into the future if they don't know what God's saying. And all I'm saying is we've got to fix this. You know who labeled them? The culture. Stop playing the labels. Let's get back to the Word of God, not TED Talks, not storytelling, preaching the Word if we're serious about the kingdom of God. Even in our ranks, we better stop telling stories and get back to the Word of God. Psalm 119.89, Your Word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavenlies. In other words, if it's settled in heaven forever, it's settled here on earth forever. I believe when doctrine and truth are abandoned and the authority of scriptures denied, guys, you don't get a liberal Christianity. You know what you get? A whole new religion. A religion that is perverted by man and that attacks the preeminence of Christ and the authority of the Godhead. When you mess with the Word, you mess with the preeminence of Christ and the authority of the Godhead. And when you take that out, you lose everything. And so, as someone said, when assessing our lives and churches, we need to seek to line up with text and context. The Bereans, understanding the text, and is Issacharites, understanding the times. In other words, we need to understand the times, but interpret them through the Scriptures. Would you agree? Well, help this next generation to understand that too. Not do away with the Word. Keep the Word of God. It's foundational for our lives. I want to say this if I can. Read the Word of God. Learn the Word of God. Live the Word of God. Pray the Word of God. Teach the Word of God. And die to the Word of God. If anything in your and my life does not line up, we got to die. Not the Bible's going to die. we got to die to it to live it out. If you're serious about kingdom ministry. Are you there, friends? D.L. Moody said the Bible without the Holy Spirit is is a sundial by moonlight. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. But also prayer. Let me just highlight prayer. And I don't know, I'm speaking maybe ignorantly again. I'm amazed, even in our ranks, how many people don't believe in having prayer meetings again. Now, I know that you and I should pray at home, of course. But I want to tell you, God's called His church to pray together. And I know it doesn't kind of suit our culture and timing. You know, when I left Australia and we planted in the U.S., pastors told me prayer meetings don't work in America. 
right? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, no one shows up. So look at my country. Look at America. Why? Because the church believes that prayer meetings don't work. What determines a successful prayer meeting? Most of us would say the success is in who comes. If a whole church comes to prayer meeting, it's a successful, successful prayer meeting. So numbers determine the success of our prayer meetings. No, no. I want to tell you what determines the success. We pray. We love to read the book of Acts. And I look and go, oh, I long for the book of Acts. Do you know that? But the church was earnestly praying. The direct result of the power and the manifestations and all the stuff we long for for today was the church. Not the men, not the apostles. The church. Women and children and men together were praying. And one of the key Bible prayer meetings for me in Acts chapter 12. You know the story? Peter and John are locked up in prison. But the church was earnestly praying. Not the apostles, the super guys, the church. And while they're praying, the shackles fall off. Miracle, would you not? Wow, that's awesome. I mean, how many of us preached on that? And they come back and they knock on the door. And Rhoda opens the door. Peter and John are standing there. She slams the door. She says, hey, everybody. Peter and John are standing there. They're like, oh, Rhoda, they're in prison. It must be their ghost. I mean, they honestly would believe that their ghost was standing there rather than the people they were praying for were standing there. Which tells me, again, I think we don't even have to have faith when we pray. Just pray and look at what God does. I'm not mocking, friends, but we all on God. No, no, the prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. And what we're saying, if we don't come together and pray, is that we got this, God. We don't need you. And I know that's not convenient, and people say to me, if I come to your prayer meeting, what will I get out of it? Nothing. Except everything. Why? Because we pray together. Because it's the call of God for the church. And I'm going to challenge you and I this morning and say, please, if you're not praying, get back to your number one responsibility. Praying as a church. Not for the church, for the kingdom. Kingdom prayers. You remember some of our stories when we planted in, in, uh, where were we? Denver. Thank you. We prayed. And here's the thing. If you pray kingdom prayers, we had people who are looking for work and jobs. And we were like, oh, Lord, give them a job. That's not a kingdom prayer. We say, Lord, give them the right job. They would open doors for the kingdom to be advanced. Not just give them a job so they can make money. That's an inward prayer. Rather, Lord, let's get the right job so the doors can open for the church to function. And pray the, the kingdom prayers. But I want to tell you, prayer is vital if we're serious about the kingdom of God. I've got 10 minutes. Goodness, Lord, help me. <laughs> Fourthly, character. Oh, here we go. Character is our platform or foundation in kingdom ministry. How oh, we love the God factor. We love the anointing. We love all the stuff that covers and hides all our stuff. But I want to tell you seriously, friends, we need to work on our character. Character matters in the kingdom. Character determines everything in life. What you do will flow from who you are. Giftings get us there, but character keeps us there. We don't need any more getting there and not staying there. How many of you know the church today across the world is a mess because leaders got us there, but they fell out because they haven't dealt with character. Gifting is external. Uh, Yeah, external. Character is internal. Proverbs 4, 20 to 27. This is what it says. My son... Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life 
to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, above everything, guard your heart. For, it is, for everything you do flows from it. Speaks of our hearts. You feel you flow from your heart. Goes on, keep your mouth from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips, your mouth, what you speak. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Eyes that see. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Your feet, your move. Do not turn from the right or to the left, but keep your foot from evil. Above all of this, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Friends, it's the heart. That part where we desire things. And the desires that drive us can become the demons that drag us down. We become, it's where we deliberate in our hearts and where we decide to do. It's the place, someone said, to which God turns. It's there that character is formed in our hearts. But it alone holds a secret of true success. Treasures are priceless, but they can be stolen. It's the center of your spiritual and moral life, your heart. The heart is so powerful. That's why we are warned to guard it, to protect it. Not ask God to guard it. We've got to guard our hearts. The truth is, I think we're often careless about who we are and what our hearts are. And we let our hearts go all the time. We allow others to control our hearts. You know, whoever or whatever controls your heart controls you. That's how important our hearts are. And I want to say it's easier to build character and guard it than to rebuild it after you've lost it. I know that people don't like to talk on these things, but I think it's so strategic for our future. God's doing a lot and God's promising a whole lot more in this season. But we need people who are secure and they're building their character and they're working on internal stuff so we don't have more blowout as God takes us into our inheritance. We've got to fix it. I can't be held responsible for other people's character, only mine. But most people are impressed with the gift but know nothing of the character. But God sees the character, the heart. I want to say, in this kingdom, God's not overlooking our character. He wants us to work on our character. I believe there are three faces of our lives in leadership and in ministry. Number one is the public world, and that's where everyone sees. If you're on any social media, the whole world sees your public world. But that's not who we really are, is it? I mean, how many of you, if you're on Instagram, I don't know what you are, but Instagram, we don't put up our down moments. It's all our highlights. People look at them and think you live in absolute revival every day. I've never seen a pastor put a picture of an empty building and say, what an awesome meeting we've had. <laughs> in actual fact, we take photos of like where the most people are. And then, I mean, I get it. And then you want to honor God in it. But it's all highlights, no lowlights. It's public and it's where everyone sees. And most of us maybe live that life, but that's not our lives. Then there's this personal world, those who are close to us, our marriage, if you're married, your family, your friends. That's the next face in ministry. But there's a third face that I think most forget about. It's the private world. Only God sees that world. And that's one of integrity. The question I want to ask me and ask, is there something in our private world that if it became public would disqualify us from public ministry? Not to feel bad, but I want to tell you we better deal with it because God loves us enough to bring it to the open if we're not willing to deal with 
And I'm not going to get any amens on this, and I get that. But I want to tell you, we've got to protect what God's called us to. This is sacred. And we've got to deal with stuff. And there's target on our back in ministry. The devil wants to take us out. And this game, everyone thinks publicly, but God says privately. What about this stuff? And I want to say, not to feel bad, to get us free. Deal with this stuff daily. Because what we're part of is too big and too important. Too many other people are influenced by what we do. Can't ask God to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. Are you there? Very quiet all of a sudden, I guess. Okay, let's move. That's a lot on that. Next point, submission. Ooh. Submission is our protection in kingdom ministry. <laughs> you know, you cannot have authority if you're not under authority. Kingdom authority comes from submission to the king, but also understanding we're in submission to other people. Yeah, let's be honest, who likes to be submitted? I mean, that sounds like control, but not in the kingdom. That's where we find our freedom. And I, I do believe there's an incredible future for all of us, but are we submitted? Were we willing? Maybe some of you have been hurt by leadership, and who hasn't? I've been hurt by leadership, and I'm a leader. I've been absolutely destroyed by leadership. I've been... Abuse, not physical, but spiritual abuse has come in from leaders. But the point being is, in all of that, I want to reject leadership and even submission and just me and the Lord. Doesn't that sound great? But the Lord says, no, no, you need to submit to others. Because you can't have authority if you're not submitted to authority. It doesn't work in the kingdom. And so submission has become a scary word or a controlling word, but it's a liberating word if we understand kingdom ministry. And there are some... Lone rangers out there saying whatever they want. We need to be submitted. You know this team that you're in partnership with, well, most of you? We are submitted. Every person on the team that I lead, there's over 500 team guys and they're all these different gifts. They all submitted to local leaders. They all, there's no lone rangers traveling the world saying whatever they want. They are in submission. Either they lead local churches or are in local church leadership or submitted to local leaders and accountable to a local church for their family, for their lives, for their finances, and even for prophetic words they bring. Because if you just travel the world, you can prophesy and leave. And because we don't live in the old covenant, so we don't stone the prophets anymore, but we need to deal with them and bring accountability because they're damaging the church. But you know, you can have all the submission things in place. If your heart's not submitted, you'll never live in submission. And so actually, it's for our own protection to come into submission. Does that make sense, friends? You can't serve God from a distance of submitting to others. In some way, we've got to come back to that place. You don't have authority if you're not under authority. That's God's way. God made it like that for protecting us, but also for protecting others. You don't need to listen to everybody, but let me say this. You better be listening to somebody, because God has not called you to do this alone. You're not to take this journey. Even in our partnership with NCMI, we gifts to the church, but we also have people that we're accountable to as local churches. Pastors have chosen not to come under authority, but to come under protection, speak into our lives, speak into our local churches, speak into our families, speak into our marriages. Why? Because we want to see marriages thrive. We stay in people's homes. You can tell a lot when you stay in someone's home. 
You can tell about a marriage when you ask the wife, because the husband's like, yeah, everything's cool. And then you ask the wife, and they're like weeping. You're like, okay, we got a problem. But it's not so we can catch you out, so we can protect. Because we submitted, because we're in this for the long haul, friends. Because our character matters in the kingdom. I don't think we preach enough on this. Or if we do, it's always to downplay. I want to say God's called us. If we're serious about the marks of true kingdom ministry, work on your character. Deal with this stuff. Bring things to light. Get it worked out. And come into a place of submission. Because when you submit it, you'll be free. Number six, serving is our priority in kingdom ministry. Serving. The higher I go in God, the more He's called me to, the more I serve. Not I be served, I serve. Who's the greatest example? Jesus. Jesus came and served. He washed His disciples' feet. He took a towel and He washed. I mean, friends, this is Jesus as an example. Yet in leadership, kingdom leadership, we've made it about people serve me. No, no, we serve Him by serving them. And how many of you know we need some serving back in the church? Leaders who serve not are there to be served. That's kingdom. It's different to what we see today. John 13, read it. Jesus is a shadow of the cross and he teaches us a valuable lesson about the heart of a servant. Anyway, go read it, please. I'm nearly done. I have to land. Number four, whatever the next. Love is our producer, our motivating kingdom. Love. We're motivated by love, not response. Not what do I get if I love? If I love you, then you'll do this for me. That's not. Love. Love is we do this regardless of whatever the response is. Love motivates us. Jesus said that. Matthew 22, his question. What's the greatest thing that you require? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and, all your, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments. Love. The great commandment comes before the great commission. Number eight, sacrifice is the proof or the measure in kingdom ministry. The more I sacrifice, the more I get, the more I give. And that's a whole preach. Number nine, growth. Growth is the privilege in kingdom ministry. One of the greatest privileges in ministry and leadership in the kingdom is seeing people grow. Not growth of numbers, people growing up. You know, when there's a thing and they fall and then they're suddenly growing and now they're growing in and maturing. Friends, that's the joy of ministry in the kingdom is people are growing up. The growth for me, when I see my sons, honestly, as a dad, the greatest privilege for me is to see my sons growing up. And it's the same in the kingdom ministry. Not how do they make me look, how awesome they're growing up. It's the proof, it's the fruit, it's the joy of ministry is seeing people grow up. And that growth is our privilege in kingdom ministry. And lastly, the glory of God is the purpose in kingdom ministry. It's a dangerous thing to take the glory that belongs to Him. And I think when ministry becomes performance, then our auditorium becomes a theater. Our congregation becomes an audience. Worship becomes entertainment. And man's applause and approval becomes the measure of our success something's wrong when that's what motivates us it's the glory of God that matters most let me land with this I know that you've been very very patient and I appreciate that but I have flown all across the world to come talk to you just saying it's been longer than what you sat here Russ my flight was long from America's far you know that 
And from Adelaide was two flights to get here too, just so you know. <laughs> no, I, I really don't want to disown you. Let me just say this. Build a, a platform by building your character. Let God worry about your platform and you build your character. And by doing that is practice the presence of Christ. Practice the presence of Christ. In other words, get with God daily. And get him in his presence and worship and honor. Some of what I shared last night. Because you'll reflect who you spend time with. Practice the presence of Christ. Secondly, practice the presence of people. In other words, those people that we connect with and walk past and lead, treat them like Jesus died for them. Because he did. Treat them like they were made in the image of God. Because they are. And if we practice the presence of people, We'll actually have a heart to love people and reach people. Not just me and Jesus, me, Jesus, and people. And thirdly, practice the presence of a servant. Whose feet are you washing now? No one's. Well, then you're not a servant. I'm not saying physically. Maybe that too. But are people washing your feet or are you washing other people's feet? Practice the presence of being a servant. Practice the presence of Christ. Practice the presence of people. Practice the presence of servanthood. If we make that a daily routine, not by law, but by revelation, I believe we will always, always be kingdom people who God can trust and reach and entrust us with a greater platform because we're building our character. Can we pray? Is that okay? Let's pray together. Maybe you can just stand. Would you mind standing? Please don't leave. Just give me a minute. Just going to pray. I, I, uh, I know a lot has been said this morning, and again, a lot that I've said, but I'm hoping more than what I've said, God has spoken. The thing about God is He never speaks for the sake of speaking. He speaks for us, not even for hearers, for responders. Yeah, difference between the wise man and the foolish builder was one thing. Not those who heard, but those who put my word into practice are wise. Those who don't are foolish. That's the difference Jesus said. And so I just wonder if you wouldn't mind responding where you are this morning. If, I, if you need to respond. If there's something God's addressed, or would you maybe just raise your hands to the King this morning and say, Lord, there's some things that I'm hearing and I'm responding. Just raise our hands if we need to. And Father, you see men and women across this room, all ages, all histories, but our future's wrapped up in you, Jesus. And it's not we chose you, you chose us. You picked us, hand-picked in this time and season for this region to reach out to these people. We pray this morning in this room that all of us who are raising our hands, that you'll connect with us this morning, that you'll remove what needs to be removed and you'll put in what needs to be put in. That we won't just get on with what we're doing, but we will stick to the king's business making sure it's kingdom that we're about. And where there are things that we have disagreed with, but if they're your word, we want to come back to them. Where were there things we've been taught, maybe by good people that are wrong, we don't judge them. We want to judge our lives and ministries through your word. We're not reactional, and we're not trying to cause a revolution. We want to be people who walk by revelation, because you bless that. And so I pray this morning and this afternoon, all of us, will grow in our revelation, that our ears would be attuned to hearing the Spirit like never before, 
that we'd be led by you, Holy Spirit, that we'd be empowered by you, that we wouldn't put you aside, and, but we realize it's you, Holy Spirit, God in us, the hope of glory. We don't want to fill buildings. We want to be filled with God. So we ask, come and have your way. Let us be true. Let the ministries we carry, whatever they be, may they represent the King and the kingdom, I pray. Keep adjusting us. Keep leading us. Keep taking us. Keep growing us. Keep maturing us. And may Tasmania see Jesus in us. And may we reflect the kingdom of God like never before. I pray for more signs and wonders, miracles. Not weird, but the evidence that God is with us and the proof. Jesus went about proving and convincing He's alive. And our job is to prove and convince that He's alive by demonstration of power that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. And so we bless you this morning. We give you all the praise and the glory. Bless these people. Bless the region. Bless the churches. And may this be the time for the true, the land, the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Not in concept, but in reality. Do it, we ask, and include us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.